Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. first lesson today comes from the prophecy of Isaiah in the 49th chapter, the first seven verses. Listen now to the Word of God. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples, from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, He named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, in the shadow of His hand He hid me. He made me a polished arrow, and in His quiver He hid me away. And He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain, and I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord, and my reward with God." And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength, he says. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall see, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John in the second chapter. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle, he also poured out all the coins from the money changers and overturned their tables. He told them, those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. When Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, 
Many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. The word of the Lord. Song lyrics can sometimes make pretty good bumper stickers. You've probably seen one that says, stand for something or you'll fall for anything. You may know it. It's both a country ballad that Aaron Tippin covered, as well as a version of it, as a different song, completely different words, but a version of it by John Cougar Mellencamp. Stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Standing for something is a way of making a difference. And often we think of when we make a stand, we make a declaration that is somewhat heroic. We see, think of the prophet Nathan in the Old Testament when he stood before King David. King David had been caught in an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. But not only was it that, he had arranged for Bathsheba's husband to be killed in battle. Adultery and murder. Our revolutionary ancestors in 1776 declared their independence from Great Britain. It was a heroic stand that they made. You may recall the picture from 1989 of a sole person standing in Tiananmen Square in China in front of a tank making a stand and making a difference. Jesus stood in the temple courtyard in Jerusalem, and he made a difference. The Gospels, all of them, all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all tell this story of Jesus going to the temple and making this stand. But John does it a little bit differently. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell that story as part of the last days of Jesus' life and ministry on his way to the cross. John tells it at the very beginning of his ministry. John wants us to know that God came to be with us. The Word became flesh. God put on this humanity that we have and lived with us. There is something in that that lets us know right off the bat God is making a difference in Jesus Christ for you, for me, for all people. Some Christian scholars say that the book of John is also, can also be described as the book of signs. And in fact, in the reading, there is an allusion to the signs that Jesus did. And because Jesus did signs, people believed what he had done. And this is one of those signs. But what is it a sign for? Is it something that you just pass by as we drive by many billboards on the roads next to us? Or is it a sign that tells us something that we need to listen to? John is critiquing the temple culture of his day. He is offering a, 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 a way of saying, you people are doing it wrong. He's saying Jesus is showing us a different way to be connected. The religious rites of the Jewish faith at that time called for animal sacrifice. That is what the temple was for. 
And to have animal sacrifice, you have to have animals. It was inconvenient. It was difficult to bring animals from your house, the place you live to the temple. So they arranged to have the animals there. And you had to buy the animals. So you had to bring money. But there was not a uniform currency. So there were money changers there. All well and good, except that that process had lost in it the purpose of the sacrifice. The sacrifice was to help people have a better relationship with God, and that wasn't happening. And so Jesus stands there in the courtyard of the temple, and he says, you have lost your way. This is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it is supposed to be. The Jews, which is in the Gospel of John code language for the leadership of that Jewish sect, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests, they called him out on that. And they said, how can you do this? What gives you the authority to do this? And Jesus says, tear down this temple, tear down this building, and in three days I will build a new one. The temple that he was talking about had been under construction for many years. When the Romans finally did tear the temple down in the year AD 70 and then later again in the year 8140, when, he did, when they did tear the temple down, the foundations remain. To this day, you can go to Jerusalem, and in the center of Jerusalem, there are the remnants of the temple. You can go and see there. We, they, you can see the, the, the western wall, the wailing wall, as it is sometimes called. You can see the gates of holiday. You can, on top of the temple, the dome of the rock and a mosque have been built. It's still there. So to say it's going to come down and I'm going to rebuild it in three days simply was strange talk. Yet Jesus said, it's not about that. It's about the resurrection. That's what he was referring to. There is a new way of seeing life. There is a new doorway to open. There is a new way of understanding this talk about sacrifice. And you won't need animals anymore. A new way to look to resurrection, to new life. Not simply in the life to come, but new life, new resurrection, where we are now, new ways of seeing things. This is what the Gospel of John is affirming, a doorway, making a stand to open a door at the beginning of his ministry so that when we think of the resurrection, we will know there is a fulfillment there. When someone makes a stand, the world shakes. At certain points in our history, different people have done different things. John F. Kennedy, when he was a senator, compiled a book called Profiles in Courage, and it contained short biographical essays of American political leaders, beginning with John Quincy Adams in the 1820s, going through the 1940s. They were men, all men, who stood against the dominant political uh, ideas of their time for one reason or another. They were men who acted out of courage out of uh, hope, not without, not with knowing that there were, the results would be secured. There were challenges, to be sure. This week, this weekend, we have a national holiday 
acknowledging the birth of a birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. King was a pastor and a theologian, and he found his faith to be lived out in a very public square, not simply in the church, but also outside of the church and in the community, all of the community. He began in Montgomery, Alabama as a very young pastor. He had not been there very long at all when he received a call that there were people who needed assistance, people who had gone to jail for sitting on the wrong side of the aisle in the bus, and he participated in that leadership. And from that flowed so much of the other activities that we know of as the civil rights movement. From his ministry in Montgomery and then later in, in Atlanta at Ebenezer Baptist Church and from his organ, participation in the organization, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, King preached, he wrote, he marched, he led in the practice of civil disobedience. He acknowledged that there were a variety of influences that that informed his actions, but his purpose was to be a disciple of Jesus Christ in all things so that things would be set right for people in this nation and even around the world. One of his most poignant exchanges was when he was invited to Birmingham in 1963 to assist in a locally organized campaign against segregation and for economic development of African Americans. In the course of those events, King engaged in protest and he was arrested. The leading white clergy of that city, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Catholic, and Jewish, not simply Christian, but interfaith there, published an appeal to the local leaders that appeared in the paper and it asked them to ignore King and to engage in local negotiations. It suggested that King was an outsider and that he had extreme views. From his jail cell in Birmingham, King began to compose a letter, which we know of as the letter from the Birmingham jail. He wrote in it, "'Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere.'" We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. In the letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul in the Bible wrote, If any one member of the body of Christ suffers, all suffer together with it. If any one member of the body of Christ is honored, all rejoice with it. King drew from a deep resource of the Christian faith, just as we do every week here in worship and as we did earlier this day in the call to confession. We are a community. If one of us suffers, we all suffer. If one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. As to being an extremist, King wrote to his fellow clergy, "'Was not Jesus an extremist in love? Love your enemies.'" Bless them that curse you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Was not Paul an extremist for the gospel of Jesus Christ? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Shifting to church history, King wrote, Was not Martin Luther an extremist, the, the founder of the Reformation, who, stu who stood before the council and he said, I, uh, Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. 
Was not Abraham Lincoln an extremist? This nation cannot survive half slave and half free. King points out, the question is not whether we will be extremist, but what kind of extremist we will be. Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. was called to make a difference, and he did. We are called to make a difference by being followers of Jesus Christ and by doing things. Sometimes we do that in ways that are notable and public, and sometimes there are things that we act upon that do not put us in the crosshairs of any sort of public conflict, but they are there nonetheless. Several years ago, a man walked into the L'Enfant Plaza station of the Washington Metro subway system. He had a violin case. He opened it, he placed it in front of him, and he began to play. He played for 43 minutes. And you know, when you pass a, a street musician and the case is open, you're supposed to put something there. And I'm sure some of you have passed by people who have a lot of stuff that's there. But in this case, at the end of that 43-minute segment, there was only $32.17. More than 1,000 people had walked by in those 43 minutes. But this was not an ordinary street musician. This was Joshua Bell, a world-renowned virtuoso. He was accustomed to playing in the best concert halls in the world, and the tickets for those events cost several times more than $32.17. And he played on the violin he always played on, a 300-year-old Stradivarius. I don't know a whole lot about violins, but I do know that name, and I think so many of us do. It represents a unique and special kind of instrument that's worth all sorts of money. And he played in this public place while people walked by seemingly ignoring him. He played Bach and Schubert, and there was so not much of a response at all. This event was part of an experiment that was put together by people at the Washington Post as well as Bell. Bell thought it would be a challenge and fun. They were posing a question. If a great musician plays music, plays great music, but no one hears it, is it any good? Sort of a variation on that question. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, is any sound made? But there is another question that comes to my mind. If someone makes their stand and makes a difference in the world, but it's not in a place where anybody sees it, is it still a stand that makes a difference? There's a family story that I've received in recent years. I can't corroborate it because it's about my grandfather, and he's dead, and he died long before I was born. But it's a question, it's a story about making a difference. My grandfather grew up in North Mississippi. He was the youngest of four children. And a little more than 100 years ago, living in the, in the rural south, 
many people chose to decide to move to the city, and they moved to the nearest city, which was Memphis, Tennessee. In Memphis, he was able to, uh, to get a job in an office. He wasn't doing manual labor. He was in an office, which was supposedly a social status. And in this office, they sold, it was, a, it was a business, and they sold eyeglasses. It was a national company, and he would work with customers, and later he would work with, um, in, in the office and in doing things for the business. He rose to the level of being the assistant store manager, and he could not be promoted because he only had a grade school education. As I said, I never knew my grandfather, but I have been told he was a pretty hard man. He came from Scotch-Irish descendants. The family I, was Presbyterian, the Presbyterian variety known as the Associate Reform Presbyterians, um, sometimes called blue stockings, pretty plain and direct folks. They didn't sing songs other than things that came directly from the book of Psalms in the in their churches, no hymns, no organs, no stained glass. When they moved to Memphis, one of the older sisters who was the matriarch of the clan decided that she was going to read the Bible and find out the true religion, and she became a Baptist, and everybody else did too, so that ended that Presbyterian strain. We would have some conversations today, I'm sure, and we will have some conversations in the future, I know, about that. But they, they went on their way, and one day in his work, there, his boss came to him and said, there are going to be other store managers coming to Memphis for a convention, for a business gathering, and we're in charge of providing the hospitality for them. So I want you to go out and procure some prostitutes for us. My grandfather, as I said, was a very simple man. He was, a, he was a religious fundamentalist. He was strong in his conviction. And in my family, I have always learned that you obey direct orders. And I am sure that he was probably of that same cloth. But he told his boss that he would not do that. He would not do what he was asked to do. I don't know what happened. I don't know if somebody else went out and made those arrangements. I don't know if he was reprimanded by his boss, suffered any sort of economic uh, pe uh, penalty because of that. It's not the kind of stuff that was then put in the newspapers. And, but it went on then. It goes on now. But it was a stand. It was not a stand that he made in the streets. It was not a stand that actually is told very often in our family. In fact, I have only learned of it recently, and I learned from it of my mother who told me that she was told of it by her mother long after my grandfather was dead. It is one of those oral tradition pieces, so I can't corroborate it, but it fits. It makes sense with who I know of the people that tell me these things. You make a stand. 
Jesus stood at the temple and he opened the doors to resurrection as he made his stand to say, it's not like this. There is new life in a new way. Martin Luther King wrote a letter from a jail and he challenged the establishment to make his stand to say, we are connected. What happens to one of us impacts all of us. A violinist goes into a busy terminal station. No one seems to notice, yet still there is beauty and there is music that was created in that space and in that time. A man did not do what he was told because he, would, he believed to be an act of destruction and wrong. In some form or fashion, each one of these acts made a difference for goodness, for grace, for hope, for the love of God. When you and I come to our own moments in our own lives, when we are asked these sorts of questions, I pray that you and I will be able to take a stand that makes a difference. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.